Amen. Beautiful songs this morning. So good to worship with you all and uh, in song. And I pray this will be another opportunity for us to worship, worship as we open up God's Word and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Um, if you have your Bibles uh, with you this morning, you can turn to John chapter 15. We're going to start John 15 this morning. I spent like six weeks in the 14th chapter of John. It took forever. But I was thinking about it. You know, we, we've been walking through the Gospel of John for over well over a year now, and we went through some difficult passages, starting in John 6 and 7 and 8, where Jesus keeps, uh, you know, the religious leaders are coming to Jesus, and Jesus keeps, you know, preaching, look, if you do not believe, if you do not return, you're condemned in your sin, you're, you know, your judgment is upon you. And so those were hard verses to walk through, and now we're here, and I think that's why I'm just hanging out here, because the, these verses speak to the believer. John 13 through 17 are just beautiful passages of Scripture for those of us who are in Jesus, who have believed and received Jesus as Savior. These verses are just lifeblood to us. These verses that were in the middle of Jesus ultimately going to the cross, he, in beginning in John 13, he finds, we find him with the apostles in the upper room, his disciples, and, and uh, he takes the, Lord's, uh, the Passover supper and he he starts the, the Lord's Supper, which we get to celebrate today, and uh, institutes the Lord's Supper in which we come to the Lord's table and we, we uh, partake of, the, of the, 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 the grape juice and the bread as a means, as a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us in the new covenant. That is, shed his broken body, his, him stepping into his creation, take it upon a flesh for us so that he could go to the cross, that he could be our kinsman redeemer. He was a sacrifice, the spotless lamb of God for us on that cross. Fully God, yet fully man. And his shed blood was the new covenant. His blood covers us. He's atoned for our sins. He he went to the cross and, and received punishment for sin. It was not his sin, but ours. That today we get to come and we get to partake along with the saints over 2,000 years uh, of this this Lord's Supper and doing a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm looking forward to, to being able to participate with that uh, in that with you this this morning after the the sermon. So Jesus is in the upper room. He demonstrates to them. He gives them a model of what it means to love that sacrificial love by washing his disciples' feet. He then tells them that you need to do what I have done to you, that you need to love one another just as I have loved you. And we're going to encounter those same words again today in John chapter 15. And, and these are the words for us as believers. What does Jesus desire for us? He desires us to, to live for him, to live our lives for his glory you see the title of the sermon is Living Our Lives for the Glory of God. Salvation is to glorify God. And the moment we receive Jesus as Savior, eternal life begins. We are saved and we have eternal life. And he's left us here, those of us who are in this room this morning who claim Jesus, he's left us here to live our lives for his glory, to shine his light to the world around us. In these passages of Scripture, Jesus is giving the disciples some beautiful truths, some beautiful tools that are going to equip them in their life because he knows the life that they're going to live and the life that we live today 
is full of trial and tribulation. It's live our lives in a world of darkness. And it can be we can be easily discouraged. We can easily doubt our faith and 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 when things come at us and we get discouraged, what is it that keeps us focused on Christ? And Jesus in these passages of scripture are pointing to the, the, the to his disciples, look, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you some tools to live a victorious life in spite of your circumstances. I'm going to allow you to, to have the joy and the peace and the, all the other things that I, I can give you. I can give you those in spite of the circumstances that you're going to endure in this life. And he uses these passages of Scripture to describe what tools, what beautiful gifts he's given us. And we've discussed them, prayer, and the ultimately God the Spirit indwelling in the hearts of every one of us. As we receive Jesus, the down payment of our internal, eternal inheritance is God the Spirit dwelling inside of us, empowering us to live a life, giving us the power to, to overcome those things, not in and of ourselves, but of the power of God. And they're beautiful gifts that were given. And Jesus comes here in John 15. They, they've now left the upper room, and they're marching to the garden. They're, they're walking to the garden. And Jesus knows his time with his disciples is, is every step that they take towards the garden is one step closer to the cross. His time with his disciples is, is limited. And he gives them this, this beautiful passage of Scripture in John 15 on how to abide in Christ, how to use those, those gifts, the power of prayer and the, 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 the God the Spirit indwelling our hearts, how do we use those things that God has given us in a real way. How do we apply those things? And Jesus provides for us, for the disciples, and ultimately for us today, how we can access those things, how we can live a victorious life in spite of our circumstances. So let's go ahead and read the first 14 verses, and then we'll ask the Lord to meet with us yet again in prayer. I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and that will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let's read verse 8 again. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If our goal in life is to glorify God, here it is again. 
the Father desires to be glorified, and we can glorify him by bearing much fruit. Verse 9, And as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. What a powerful verse. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love, he says. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before your throne of grace and mercy, Lord. In the name of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, Lord, we have access to your throne. We're so grateful for that. God, we come before your throne and we ask that you would meet with us today. Father, I don't know the hurts and the struggles that everyone in this room are encountering right now, but you do. And Lord, my prayer is that you would meet with them in a mighty way, that your love as expressed and demonstrated in Jesus may be just renewed and refreshed in their hearts this morning. Help us, Lord, to draw the truth that you have in this passage of Scripture. Help us to, to receive what you've given us, Lord, and then apply it to our own lives. God, we desperately need to know how to abide in you and abide in our Lord. Help us, Father. Help us to grow to that end. We ask it in Christ's precious and powerful name. Amen. All right, so we have this just wonderful passage of Scripture about abiding in Christ, and, and th this is a, 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 an amazing passage of Scripture. The first thing that I want to pull out of it there in verse 1 of chapter 15 is why God allows trials, right? We, we know Jesus is, is trying to give his disciples the tools to, to endure trials and tribulations and, the, and the, 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 the tests of faith that are going to come their way. And he's said, look, I've given you the, the ability to approach the throne of God anytime you want. I've given you the spirit of God. And now he's going to say, look, if you truly desire to, to be an overcomer in, in a hard world and lots of trials and tribulations, you must abide in me. And he gives us this metaphorical expression, this demonstration of what that might look like. How do we remain in Jesus? How What does that look like? And as they're walking through, right, they're left the upper room and they're now walking outside, they're going to the garden. They might have well been walking by a vineyard. And Jesus points over to the vineyard, to the vine, and begins to teach them this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And right there we have another I am statement, right? This is the seventh. This is the last I am statement that we've encountered in the Gospel of John. Jesus has declared seven different I am statements in John records seven of them for us. And this is the last one. I am the true vine. And for the Jewish mind, that, that ties back to the Old Testament. In Isaiah, Israel is referred to as God's vine. But as we see again and again, their fruitlessness because of their backsliddenness and their hard hearts and their inability in and of themselves to obey God's commands, their fruit lacked greatly. And 
God would send his prophets to demonstrate that to them. Look, you're the vine, but your fruit is not very good. Jesus shows up on the scene and he declares himself to be the fulfillment, the true fulfillment of what the true vine was all about. I am the true vine, he says. And my father is the vine dresser. He's using a metaphorical expression for the agrarian society that they would all understand what that meant. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear, does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so here we are faced with this, this dilemma of why God allows trials in our lives. Sometimes I think all of us have been there. Why, God? Why? And as difficult as many of our trials have been, we can come to Scripture and we can see that God is ultimately working out good in any and every trial that he allows into our life. And we see here that those trials, that pruning, that time is a means in which he purifies us. He, he desires to sanctify us, to make us transformed into the image of, of Jesus more and more. And he uses trials and circumstances in our life to refine us and to transform us. And it's ultimately for our good that we might bear more fruit. I, uh, when we first moved to Lehigh, Utah from Bible college, we moved into with uh, Tara's dad because we were completely broke. And um, so he let us stay and he had a big property and had lots of apple trees in the back, but they had not been taken care of whatsoever for several years. And so Tara and I like, well, man, we'll start taking care of these, water and we'll get some apples, you know, and sell some on the street to get some more money, you know, whatever. But, um, so we started, we started watering those apple trees and they were on a well. So we weren't, you know, you don't have to pay for the water either. So we just kept watering and just, and the, all the, you know, the, the blooms come up and we're like, Oh man, we're going to get some apples. And all of a sudden the apples start coming up and we're like, yeah, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. We're going to have so many apples. And uh, the problem was, is no one was taking care of the trees. No one was pruning them. And those trees were not ready to bear the weight because no one had been pruning them back and making them stronger, making them thicker. And so when the fruit began to appear, we're like, this is great. But all of a sudden those limbs started bowing, you know, and then one big windstorm comes by. And next thing you know, the majority of those branches are busted off. And instead of providing fruit, they begin to wither. They begin to die and they're not able no longer because they're no longer attached to the trunk. They could not provide us fruit. And Jesus is using this example as a means to show the disciples, look, the trials that you're going to encounter, they're going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. But bear in mind, I'm allowing them to, to help you, to transform you. God desires our ultimate good in those things. We see and I'm not here to say that all of our trials and tribulations that we have are because we're being punished or because we're uh, we are being disciplined by God. But but God loves us so much that He right He He will keep us and save us exactly where anybody's at. He will take you. You don't have to clean up your act. Wherever you're at in your life, you hear the gospel message. Jesus will save you right where you're at. But He loves you too much to keep you there. He desires to transform you, to grow you to prune you so that you might be able to bear fruit. 
And there's sometimes, and I've had a few examples, and I've mentioned them before, and if you want to know, God's had to use, I've, I was saved, but I was walking in so much self-pride. I was blind to my need for him. And he had to discipline me. He had to remove things from my life so I could finally get to the point where all I had was him. And that was difficult. But I'm so grateful for it. Because hindsight looking back, I'm so much closer to him. My faith in him is so much greater because he allowed that to happen in my life. And all of us, I'm sure, can have those same testimonies. Hebrews talks about God's discipline. Hebrews 12. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, right? Looking back, I'm grateful that my dad loved me enough to try to keep me in line, to discipline me when I got out of, out of character, or what I shouldn't be doing. And I respected him for that. And the, the author of Hebrews is saying the same thing for our Father God. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, that's the earthly fathers, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. I think we can all say amen to that, right? It's painful in the moment. But later, hindsight, looking back, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Jesus says, I desire that you bear much fruit in, in doing this and allowing God to change us and transform us in these trials and the, the discipline, the, the things he allows into our life to, to draw us closer to him. It yields peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God is doing these things for our good. So that's why God allows these trials to happen. In verse 3, I just want to point out an interpretive challenge here already. He says, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And this passage of scripture demonstrates to us that he is speaking to his disciples and he knows that his disciples are born again. They are believers. They are true disciples of Jesus. He's already dismissed Judas. Judas is gone. And he reminds them, Look, you already claim because of the words that I have spoken to you. And if you go back to John 13, that will fill in the blank if you have any questions as far as that. But I, I bring that up because this passage of Scripture, when he begins to tell us that we are the branches and he is the vine, he begins to speak in metaphorical language. And it's really easy to take a metaphor and then begin to apply meanings for different things that aren't really there, weren't really intended by John and through the inspiration of the Spirit. And it's really easy to say, well, he's removing branches, so does that mean that someone will lose their salvation? And so those that claim that you can lose your salvation would, would use this verse maybe as a proof text that you could lose your salvation, but they completely disregard that Jesus said in John chapter 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 
if we are born again, if we are born from God, we are not losing that salvation. So we, we know that that can't be the correct interpretation of this metaphorical. And we begin to parse these metaphors. And the next thing you know, we lose the true meaning of what Jesus was trying to intend to his disciples and ultimately what the Holy Spirit intended for us. That as believers, he's speaking to believers as this verse proclaims. As believers, he's asking us, he has an imperative verb that says, you must abide. Yes, you're saved. But to endure this life and this trial and, and to be able to bear fruit in spite of the circumstances that come your way, you must abide. You must remain close to Christ. Just as the vine must be, or the branch must be attached to the vine to bear fruit, so those of us who desire to glorify God, to desire to bring much fruit so that God would be glorified in that. The only way we're going to do that is to be near, draw near, and abide in Christ and to learn how to do that day by day, step by step. And I have to admit to you guys, I'm not anywhere near where I need to be in this. I am not up here saying that I got it all figured out and if you just do what I do, then you're going to abide in Christ. There are often a lot more days that I'm not abiding in Christ. I'm walking in my own flesh and my own strength as opposed to what Jesus has asked us to do. And my walk with him and my family is the worst for it. And so I desire to, to have this increase in my life. But the good news is, is I know I can increase in my life because God's enabled us to do it. Because it doesn't depend on me. It doesn't depend on my strength. It depends on me yielding to the Spirit of God. And just surrendering all aspects of my life and say, God, it's yours. I just want to be near you. I want to abide in you. We go on here. How do we endure trials and tribulations? When those tribulations come, when the trials come in life, Jesus is saying to us, abide in him, and I in you. As you abide in him, he will abide in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And we see here in verse 5 that Jesus is our only source of spiritual sustenance. We are to abide just as the the branch needs to abide in the vine to get the sustenance that's needed to bear fruit. We must abide in Christ to get our source of spiritual sustenance to bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Tara and I built a house in Cedar City and I was really proud of it because we put a bunch of sweat equity into it, you know, and we finally got the the landscape and stuff. And I went and I bought the biggest rose bush the nursery had. I was going to put it right in the front lawn. And it was for all my neighbors to see, you know, this beautiful. And so I spent a lot of money for this mature rose bush. And I, I dug the hole and I prepped it and I put it down there and began to water it. And, and uh, it was good for a week or two. Everything was fine. But all of a sudden it didn't start, started to not look so healthy. So I'm like, what's going on? So I start researching. I'm like, oh, I need to put some loam in there, you know, doing whatever you need to do for the soil. I may put some fertilizer sticks, but it just kept getting worse and worse. 
I'm like, maybe I'm not watering enough, right? I'm pouring water, whatever I need to do to try to get this rosebush to, to, uh, to, to live and to be beautiful and all that stuff. And it died. And I'm like, oh my God, I, I put so much time and effort and money into this. And it was frustrated. And I'm like, I'm, I guess I got to dig it up. And so I went and grabbed my shovel. And as I went over to the rosebush, I went to, to, you know, thinking I was going to have to kick through the roots to, to dig that, that uh, rosebush up. And as I kicked, that thing just blew out of the out of the ground. Some mole or some gopher, I don't know what it was, ate all the roots up. That's why. It doesn't matter how much money or water I put on that thing, right? Without the roots, without the ability to receive the, the nutrients and the sustenance, that rosebush was hosed. Believer, without abiding in Christ, you will not be able to receive the nutrients, the spiritual sustenance that is necessary to live a victorious life, to produce fruit. It must be in Jesus. We must all intend to, to strive to live closer and to abide closer with Jesus. It's a scary world out there. There's lots of things going on. And it's easy to get distracted and get fearful of what's going on. But as Christians, what we need to do is keep our focus on Christ. Abide in him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If we're not a branch that is not attached to the trunk or the vine, it's worthless. It's of no use. It's the only thing that can be used for is to be burned. And those of us who are, claim Christ and live, walk this walk and we don't strive to abide and, and to seek to live our lives for the glory of God, we become useless for the kingdom of God's work. And the beautiful gift of salvation is is secure for anyone and everyone who receives and believes on Jesus. But if our effort is to to love, demonstrate our love for what Jesus has done by loving others around us and walking in his power, we must do it his way. We must abide in Christ. We must seek him every day and every moment of every day. More and more, as I said, I'm far from it. So how do we abide? Right? I can say we must abide, we must abide as much as I want. But I think the text pulls out some, some, some stuff that uh, we've already covered. Jesus has already said a few times, but he's repeating it yet again. And we see something, a, a, a truth that is in Scripture that's repeated again. We know that it must be important. So how do we abide? How do we do that? If we truly desire to do this and to, to increase in our walk and close in our relationship with Jesus, how do we do it? The first thing that I see in verse 7 and 8 is prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right? We've talked about uh, John chapter 14 mentions prayer two different times. Praying in the authority of God or of Jesus and his name. And, and in doing so, as we align our will with his, we we right, if my if you abide in me and my words abide in you, it's obviously that our wills are going to be in alignment with God. And as we seek to glorify God and send up our prayers to, in that regard, God will answer those prayers. 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the first aspect of what I see of how do we abide just in this passage of scripture alone is prayer. It's a beautiful thing that we don't have to go through a bunch of different priests or anything like that because our great high priest is at the right hand of the Father who's made a way for us to approach God at any time. And we don't have to come with Elizabethan English and say, thy Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Please listen to my prayer if I say it pretty enough. Scriptures declare that we are his children and we can come to the throne and say, Abba, Father, God, help. I need your help. Help me to overcome this. Whatever, I'm fearful of this. God, help, just pray. And the beautiful thing is Scripture even says that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit does it for us. What an amazing gift we have in prayer. And the more we pray, the more we're abiding because we're seeking him and his dependence, our dependence on him. By this, my father is glorified, right? Chief in the man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Because if the fruit doesn't come from us, it's through abiding in Christ. The second one is have faith. Man, this verse rocked me yesterday. I was studying all week, but all of a sudden this verse just leveled me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Let's just think about that. Jesus is saying this eternal, co-equal love, this unbroken pure love that the Father has always eternally extended to me, that kind of love, that's the same love he loves you with, Jesus loves you with. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. That's the love that Jesus has demonstrated to us. He's telling us, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide. And my love. How do we abide? We abide in his love. And I say, have faith. Because this is the most difficult one for me. Because it doesn't take me very long to figure out. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve his love. And so I want to distance myself. Or whatever. But the truth is, found in God's word. It is written. Jesus loves you that much, just as the Father loves him. And so the dialogue that goes on in her head, I'm worthless, I'm unworthy, it's lies. It's Jesus was tempted by the the devil. Jesus rebuked the devil in the 40 days of wilderness. When he was tempted by the devil, Jesus rebuked him by saying, it is written. It is written, you shall not tempt your Lord your God. He used God's word to rebuke the devil, and so should we. It is written, just as the Father has loved Jesus, so Jesus loves us. And we need to abide in his love. And we need to have faith. We need to believe that in spite of what we might feel, in spite of our circumstances. That's truth. That's the truth given to us from God, and we need to 
have faith. So how do we abide? Through prayer and through believing in God's promises. And third, obedience. If you keep my commandments, we talked about this last week at the end of 14. You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. How do we abide? We obey his commands. We seek to live a life pleasing and honoring to our God. We seek to live our life for him, to reflect his goodness by keeping his commands. We are Suddenly our focus is not on ourselves and our own pleasures, but on our desire to glorify God by keeping his commandments. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. We abide by prayer, by believing and trusting in his promises and obeying his commandments. We go on here. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's contradictory to how the world would say you get joy, right? We find joy from the outside and whatever pleases us. But Jesus has come and said, if you're a follower of me, if you're following and abiding in me, if you seek to, to glorify me and by obeying my commands, if you do these things, the fruit of the Spirit, you'll bear much fruit. My joy will be in you and that your joy may be full in spite of the circumstances. That's a promise given to us. In 14, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives you peace, but my peace I give to you. Another fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that will be in our lives as we seek and abide in Christ. So what are these commands? Well, they can be summed up here in verse 12. And this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus demonstrated to them what it meant to have biblical love, putting others' needs before your own. Not to seek your own desires, but others, and they're good. As Jesus washed their feet, he gave them a model, and then we know as we, the scripture goes on that he will ultimately go and lay down his life for his friends, for you and I, as a means of love, sacrificial love. So how does he desire us to obey his commands? By loving one another, as I have loved you. Because if you're loving your neighbor, you're not going to covet his wife or his house. If you're loving your neighbor, you're not going not to murder them. If you love your neighbor, you're, you're not going to lie to them. If you love your wife as Christ loved the church, you're not going to commit adultery. You're too busy loving them. You fulfill the law. And it's the beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. We get to reflect God's glory by following his commands and loving one another and demonstrating those around us, not out of fear of what might happen if we don't obey his commands, but because of our love for what he's done for us. The motivation is love, not fear. We love him because he first loved us. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. How do we abide in Christ if it's so important? These are three aspects that we can have. Prayer, increasing our prayer life. 
Right? We do did biblical counseling, a, a lot of uh, marriage counseling uh, back in Utah, and it would come in in crisis mode or people struggling with whatever. And the, one of the first questions we'd ask them is, what's your prayer life look like? Guess what? It wasn't very good. They weren't accessing the tools that God has given us to abide. It's a way to we can communicate with our God and to abide in him through prayer through believing and trusting his promises and memorizing word, the, his word and, and allowing that to infiltrate our life and to wash us afresh and anew and then obey. And if you don't know what to do, love somebody sacrificially for the glory of God. And in doing those things, we are abiding in Christ. Father God, we love you and we're thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to open up your word and to see um, the tools and the gifts you've given us, God, to be able to, to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you, God. We desire to glorify you, and we know we can't do it in our own strength. So help us, Lord, each and every one of us, to abide ever closer to our Lord. Help that be a reality, God, and not just platitudes. Father, we desire that you would be glorified by the fruit that you will make in our lives, Lord. That the joy and the peace that come in abiding in you may be fruit that is seen from those around us. And that you might draw others to a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. All for your glory, God. Help us to, to be these people that you desire us to be. Strengthen us, Lord, for the journey. Empower us to do so. We ask it in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. All right, we have the opportunity to.